Hey family, welcome to the third episode in our Ten Commandments series here on Devoted Devotions. My name is Tandy and I pray that we all learn valuable lessons ahead. So let's continue to open up our hearts and minds to him and share the good news with those all around us who so desperately need to be saved. Psalms 34 verses 1 I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's close our eyes as we ask the Holy Spirit to join us. Our Heavenly Father, the Creator of everything, we humble ourselves in your presence knowing that we are not worthy to be in it because you are a holy God and we are sinful beings. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit may be poured out at this time, that it would reveal the destructive things that we do and give us the strength to change. All this I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Amen. Exodus 20 verses 7. You shall not take the name of Yah your Elohim in vain. For Yah will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. We've probably heard the third commandment interpreted as um, an order to not use the name of the Most High as a curse word. Um, Other people bring various interpretations on this command and how it's fulfilled, saying that one should not use his name when committing evil acts or making promises, oaths, um, while swearing on this name. And yes, while these are things we should not do either, the meaning behind this command runs so much deeper. And before I get into it, I wanted to give you guys a quick behind the scenes, like a sneak peek, because I had one of those moments where I got carried away with what God had said and not what he was saying. Um, So please do pray for me because (laughs) I'm a human being. So um, I got a whole bunch of information on um, the Hebrew translations um, and the names of God and what um, they refer to him or what the original Jews referred to him and the spellings and what it meant. And it was very insightful. But unfortunately, this was not what God had instructed me to share as the core of this episode. So I had to re-record everything from scratch and do it his way and not assume that I knew everything. Um, But for those of you who are interested in the history and the Hebrew significance, I'll attach a Google Doc in the description and make that information available to you. Basically, I was focusing more on the actual title itself, the title Yahweh, and God was like, nah girl this is this is not the focus um there's more to this and i need you to listen to me so yes with that being said let's get into the third commandment which refers to a name being taken in vain not a title we shall not take the name of yah our elohim in vain Those who do will be guilty of breaking this law. So let's look at what the word vain means here. 
The term in vain has its root in the Hebrew word 7723 in the Hebrew Strong's Concordance. It's shaw. Um, it carries the meaning emptiness and vanity, right? Interestingly enough, it's the same term used in Exodus 23 verses 1. Um, in that verse, the term false is also word 7723. Um, we see that sure is also used to convey falsehood. In other words, taking the name of Yah in vain can be termed as making the name of Yah empty, vain or false. For those of you who don't know, the Hebrew Strong's Concordance is basically an index to keep track of the original word in Hebrew or Greek. It's very important that we keep Yah's laws exactly as he had commanded them to be kept. If he tells us not to make his name empty, vain and false, then that's what we ought to do with our lips and even with our praise and even with our lives. Because if we do, we will not be found guiltless. So does this mean calling the Most High God or His Son Jesus mean that I'm not worthy of His presence? Even though Jesus is not the name Gabriel gave to Mary, this is the name that the writers wrote in Greek because remember they were colonized by the Romans. <laughs> it's interesting, I was actually speaking to Queen Zin about this. If you haven't listened to the episode with her, you should definitely check it out. Anyways, um, she made an interesting example about how names are different in different languages. So my name, Tandiswa, which means love or made to love, lovable, you know, in Iskosa. But in Arabic, it would be Habiba, loved one. Or how it's Peter in English, or but Pierre in French and Petros in Iskos. The point is that it's a different name in another language. The son's name may not have been J-E-S-U-S, -S, but that name still carries so much power. She even mentioned that even though people mispronounce the son of God, they mispronounce his name, that name still has the power to expel demons. It still frees us and brings healing. And she reminded me that the power of God is not bound by language, pronunciations and translations. Even though the enemy thought that he could confuse us, he thought that he could limit God's work by doing so. And even though we don't say everything perfectly or pronounce everything perfectly, he still extends his grace. Her comment really stuck with me because how could it be that I could find so much information about the original names and original titles and still not be anywhere near what the spirit of his law was saying? Remember, God hides himself to those who come to him in disbelief and doubt. So it was clear that there was something I was missing and I needed to turn to him again and ask him for guidance because if I only focus on this aspect, I run the risk of being of being pharisaical if i could put it like that because then i'll put myself on a high horse and judge people who don't refer to god by his original hebrew titles and this is where i had to pray to not lose sight of the message the aim is to reveal the ways that we can show god that we love him not because this is what saves us but as a thank offering 
It's the least that we can do. Our salvation is not based on how well we keep the law, but it's based on God's grace. The grace that did not hold back in sending his own son to die for beings that had rejected him. The commandment instructs us to not take the name of Yah in vain. So there are four things that we have to look at closer. Take, name, Yah, and vain. So we already looked at Yah and vain or making empty, right? So let's look at the first two. What does it mean to take? It refers to ownership, to capture or possess, the process of making something yours. Now, what does a name mean? Unfortunately, it's, it's not limited to a simple definition because it isn't a verb. But I think this is a good place to take a quick detour. The Bible is so amazing. There's always these fun little side quests that you can go on in an expedition to find the truth. Okay, so the names in the Bible were all important because they represented the character of that person. You could infer what type of person someone was based on their name, right? And this is why we see God making it a point to change the names of some of his people. Like Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, and Jacob to Israel. Of course, there were more people whose names were changed in the Bible. And I think it would be really interesting um, to seek them out and observe the significance of the name change. And if their lives reflected that change. So... If you have time, it's something that you could like, you know, explore. Like even for those of us who speak other native languages, our vernacular names have a meaning. We weren't given names because they sound nice, but it would reflect a blessing or a curse over your life, right? Remember when Rachel gave birth, she called her son Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. She was literally cursing her child because of how much pain she was in. But then Israel comes in, understanding how difficult his life was as Jacob, having to live in exile away from his own family because of the consequences of his deception. He did not want this kind of sorrow to follow his son. He comes in and he changes that name to Benjamin, the son of my right hand. When a curse was pronounced over his son's life, he counted it with a blessing. And best believe you cannot curse what Yah has blessed. 2 Kings chapter 2 verses 24. Now in this verse, it refers to a different scenario, but I chose it because in the Hebrew Strong's Concordance, it uses name as word 8034, which is a word that is interchangeable with character or shem. So with all this information, we can gather that we are not to acquire the character of Yahweh and make it empty. The thing is, when you become a child of the Most High, it changes how people look at you. And more importantly, it can change how people look at God. You know how the reputation of a company is based on the behavior of its employees? 
so is the reputation of a religion. It depends on the lives of its believers. So how you live reflects back on more than just you. It's going to reflect on the God that you claim to serve. People are going to watch. They will watch what you say and what you do. And at face value, this is very stressful. Like, what if I don't want people watching me? But when you think about it, it's actually really encouraging. It means that the example that you set will impact the lives of the people around you. And the depth and nature of that impact depends on how you carry the name of Yah. Let's not claim to know the Most High while our actions show the world that, you know what, he's just not that important to us. Some of you might even be worried about the responsibility of being an example because you know that you're going to get it wrong at some point. Here's the thing, right? We are going to fall short at some point. We are going to fall short of his glory. But when this happens, do we keep on repeating the same sin or do we repent and turn from it? Do we justify or try to minimize its wrongness or do we accept the consequences? Do we really respect and revere his mighty name or are we just insincere actors putting on a religious show? Are you an honest human being who is sincerely striving to follow Yah? That's the difference between carrying his name worthlessly or carrying it worthily. This is more than just using his name as a curse word or an exclamation. And while we aren't supposed to be doing those things, it is one aspect of this command. You see, God takes his name very seriously. He takes his character very seriously. And so should you. To the extent where this is the only command that will explicitly not go unpunished. Leviticus 24 verses 16 says, But those who curse or blaspheme Yahweh's name must be put to death. The whole congregation must stone them to death. It makes no difference whether they're Israelites or foreigners. Whoever curses Hashem, his name, must die. This is very serious. Honoring Yah's name is more than just language. It is a lifestyle. When Christians commit evil in the name of God, it reflects back on God himself because you are essentially lying about who God is. You are misrepresenting his character. In Daniel chapter 1 verses 6 and 7, we see Daniel and his friends going through a name change. The names that Daniel and his friends had had God in them, the name of God in them. We spoke about this a bit in the first episode. The king of Babylon removes God's name from the Hebrew men and puts in the name of Baal. But even though their names were changed, this did not change their character. Be aware of when the world tries to define you. Be very careful of when it tries to remove 
God's character in who you are. Daniel chapter 3. Please read this if you get a chance. It is a very insightful chapter. This is when the king of Babylon builds a golden image and wants everyone to worship it. And the Hebrew boys are confronted with this and are threatened with being thrown into a fiery furnace. We have Daniel and his friends in a situation where they will have to comply or die. There is no in-between. There is no middle ground. And this might be really unsettling for some of you. We're so used to our safety nets, our gated communities, our stocked fridges and uncapped Wi-Fi. We can't even imagine life without these things. Like if we were put in the same situation, one where they would strip you of everything, would you be able to face death because of the faith you have in God? Would you be able to say that my God has the power to save me and even if he doesn't, I will never do this. Verses 17 and 18. It's so easy to sell your soul. People think that it's like this transaction that happens in the dark with like satanic symbolism everywhere. But at its core, selling your soul is compromising your morals. That one thing you told yourself you will never do. And those rituals always dangle the one thing that you love the most as a bargaining chip. I'm not an expert in that realm but the point i'm trying to make is that your walk with god is going to lead you to a point where you are going to have to stand up for him you will have to stand up because you believe in him you will have to be unmoving and unwavering because the enemy will throw everything at you he will try to scare you into agreeing he will try to trick you into agreeing he will even try to force you if he can Daniel and his friends could have tried to make it look like they were bowing down while everyone else was, you know, like maybe throw a coin um, on the ground and pick it up, air quotes, so that they don't stand out, right? But they did no such thing. And if they did, they would have been guilty of breaking the first three commandments. One, they would have prioritized their lives over God. Two, the wrong heart condition. Three, not representing him, not being true to God's character. The king even gave them another chance. And the thing about the enemy is that he will always give you another chance to betray God, guys. Have you ever said no to someone who was trying to convince you or try to get you to do something that you didn't really want to do and you knew was wrong? They keep persisting, right? They, they don't just stop. It doesn't just, the conversation doesn't just end the first time. But you need to stand firm. They stood firm. Stand firm the same way those Hebrew boys stood firm that day. They didn't care about what other people were doing. They weren't trying to fit in. They just didn't want to defile themselves in front of God. And because God was their only priority, they were not afraid of these flames. These Hebrew men kept these commandments so much so that when they were threatened with death, it didn't shake them. I hope that this is as encouraging for you as it was for me. We really need to be fearless when it comes to standing up for the truth of God's word, even if you have to face the flames. 
at the birth of Christianity, right, believers were persecuted because of their faith. All the apostles were killed in such horrific ways. And we're kind of detached from this concept because no one is persecuting Christians right now, right? Anyone can call themselves a Christian until it's time to die for what you believe in. Do you really believe that the blood of Jesus will save you? Do you really believe that the creator is the most high God? Do you believe in it so much so that you are willing to die over it? Or are you just going to church because it's fun and there's nice music there? Or you have to go? And I'm not trying to scare anyone here. But seriously, this is a matter of life and death. This is not a drill. It is not a game. Please reflect on these questions Check that your heart is not captured by the fear of what the enemy can do to you or the cares of this world. And then you will begin to experience the Son of God in the flames with you. Because my Bible says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And on that day, he was in those flames with Daniel and his friends. Death is not a scary concept once you know and believe in the God of life. The God who has already conquered death. The same God who was with them is with us right now. He has the same power, but we need to believe in him. You know, sometimes I think about how God really isn't asking us for much, hey? He wants us to believe in what he says. He wants us to believe in him. In a world that's filled with so much confusion and false doctrines, we are to hear his word and hold onto it with our lives because the enemy will not hesitate to take it from you. But as long as your life is in the hands of the Most High, you will live. But you must believe. Remember, these commandments are meant for the children of God. They are not meant for atheists. This is part of the covenant that the children of God have with God, right? And unfortunately, there are so many examples of people committing evil in God's name. From pastors to historical leaders, even parents sometimes. The list is endless. God is telling us that he hates this. For those of you who are in a relationship, you probably understand how important it is to set boundaries. You understand these dynamics, right? Sometimes you have to tell your partner, parent, child, sibling or friend about the things that they can do that damage your experience with them, right? That affect your perception of them. Like, hey, I noticed that you're always on the phone when I try to speak to you and it makes you a little bit distracted so you never hear what I'm actually saying. Do you mind putting it aside um, when I'm speaking to you so that I know that I have your full attention in that moment? Simple. And you know for sure that that person loves you because the next time you speak to them, they'll put their phones aside, right? They'll respond accordingly. 
In fact, it's actually a red flag when you're transparent with someone and they completely disregard what you're telling them and they continue doing it, even though you've told them it bothers you. The same goes for God, right? He's setting his boundaries. Boundaries are his way of saying, look, I love you, but this doesn't make me feel good. And I want to feel good with you because I love you. He's telling us very plainly what provokes him. He's telling us plainly what doesn't sit well with his spirit. Remember, God is a spirit and those who love him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. He will be our God and we will be his people. So let's respond accordingly, guys. Don't ever make false promises. I swear to God, I'll do it. Or, or make false claims telling people that God told you something that he didn't. And don't ever leverage God's name for your own purposes. Because all of this will not go unpunished. Colossians 3 verses 17 says, Whatsoever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord, giving thanks to him through God the Father. This is basically the New Testament equivalent of the third commandment. In fact, at the end in our reflections, I will have a whole spreadsheet of where you can find the Ten Commandments in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God exalted his name above everything. And in Philippians 2 verses 9 to 11, it says, This is why God has given him an exceptional honor, the name honored above all other names so that the name of Yeshua, everyone in heaven and on earth and in the world below will kneel and confess that Yeshua Christ is the Lord to the glory of our Father. We see that Yah has elevated the name of Yeshua. So when you think about this commandment, we should not only think about Yah or God's name, we should also think about Yeshua or Jesus. And not only his name, but his character, who he is. Because this has been elevated to the same level as his own. Who Jesus is has been elevated to the same level as God. Does the way that you speak, live and go on about life reflect who you belong to? Let's remember to carry the name of Jesus with honor and let's represent him well to all the people around us. This is what this commandment is about. In closing, let's reflect on these things. What is the name that God has called you? What is your character? Is God pleased when he sees who you present him to the world as? How many times have we seen people proclaim to be Christians, but their lives show the complete opposite? I'm sure even some of us know someone who wants nothing to do with the faith because of what they have suffered at the hands of other so-called believers. My dear friends, I implore you to not be this way. Do not be the reason that someone doesn't want to know about God. Do not misrepresent him. Matthew 5 verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the room. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Are we letting his light shine through us that all men may see the God that we serve and glorify him? Or are we hiding this light under a bowl or under a lampshade? Or even worse, are we turning this light off in order to be accepted by the world? Let the life that you live be a true reflection of the God that you serve. So when the people around you see that light, they may be drawn to the God you serve as well. Dear Jesus, we come to you as the broken vessels that we are, asking that you might repair us, Father. We submit ourselves to you. Light us up one more time, Father, that we may go out into the world and be representatives of you, true representatives. Let us not be swayed by every wind of doctrine. Let us not be fearful of what the enemy can and will do to us. But let's hold fast on your promises and on your word because you are the God who conquered everything. You are the God who has all the power. Give us the strength, Father. We ask this in your mighty name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. I pray that we all open our hearts to the word and allow it to transform us so that we can become more like Christ. If you learned something new, please do share this episode with a friend or two so that they can learn and be blessed. On the next episode, we will look at the fourth commandment. And from your host, Tandy, thank you for listening. Stay blessed.